Coming up on The Exam Room. Make no mistake, the food that goes into your mouth matters a lot. I feel quite strongly that the three pounds of food that we consume on a daily basis, because that's on average what people consume, the three pounds of food that we consume on a daily basis is to me far more powerful, far more important than the milligrams of medication that we get stuck taking if we don't nail it in terms of our diet. Everything that you go in your mouth, it goes down and it meets your microbes. That's why that's important. They will change within 24 hours. But there's more to it than this. These microbes are the product of their environment. And it's an environment that we can shape through our choices. And there are choices that we can make that have frankly nothing to do with food that can empower our microbes to support us even more so that when we do eat well, when we do consume a high fiber diet, we actually get more out of it. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Thousand Oaks, California, Fort Myers, Florida, and Cali, Colombia. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 101 of season 6, number 497 overall. Today is all about the number five. Five habits that you can adopt right now to create a healthier microbiome. And these five habits, they come to us courtesy of our dear friend, Dr. Will Bolsowitz. But these habits today, they're not just about the food that's on our plate. They extend well beyond just our diet. These habits extend to the changes that we may want to make to clean up our everyday life and clean out the bad bacteria that is populating our gut. And also Dr. B today has a very interesting take on why kissing, yeah, pucker up baby, why kissing is so good for you because you're sharing a lot more than just affection with your significant other. But back on the food front, the number one nutrient for gut health is, well, if you know anything about Dr. B, you may be able to hazard a guess. Plus the various sources of this nutrient, and then how many plants you should be eating every single week. We posed this question to the exam roomies who joined us live on YouTube and Facebook. We asked them to weigh in, and the numbers were all over the place. We had all kinds of different answers. We're talking about incredibly high to exceptionally low. So what is the ramification of each end of the spectrum? Plus, we're going to get into a little bit about histamines as well. Definitely a lot on the plate today as we establish five habits for a healthy microbiome with the Mac Daddy of microbiome, the Prince of Poop, the MD of duty, Dr. Will Bolsowitz. So good to see you, my friend. Thank you, Chuck. Hello, everybody. Happy holidays. It is wonderful to be here. Oh man, I'm pumped that you are here because, you know, often we just kind of limit the scope of our conversation to just food. But in terms of the microbiome, it sounds like you're kind of inferring that it's overall lifestyle habits in addition to a person's diet that can make all the difference with what's happening in your gut. 
Yeah, I, you know, I'm as probably as guilty of this as anyone, Chuck, because oftentimes, whether it be writing a book, going on a podcast, whatever it may be, uh, I will make it sound like the only thing that matters is the food that goes into your mouth. And make no mistake, the food that goes into your mouth matters a lot. I feel quite strongly that the three pounds of food that we consume on a daily basis, because that's on average what people consume, the three pounds of food that we consume on a daily basis is to me far more powerful, far more important than the milligrams of medication that we get stuck taking if we don't if we don't nail it in terms of our diet. Everything that you go in your mouth, it goes down and it meets your microbes. That's why that's important. They will change within 24 hours. But there's more to it than this. Uh, these microbes are the product of their environment. And it's an environment that we can shape through our choices. And there are choices that we can make that have frankly nothing to do with food that can empower our microbes to support us even more so that when we do eat well, when we do consume a high fiber diet, we actually get more out of it because our microbes are there and they're ready to handle that and they're ready to give us more. So it's a beautiful and exciting thing, Chuck. Let's do it, man. So before we get into your five, let me talk to the exam roomies and say, hey, roomies, you get to ask some questions too. Let's flood the doctor's mailbag, drop it in the comments or in the chat, and we will get to as many of your questions as we possibly can here on the show today. But without further ado, my friend, let's get to number one. What is that first healthy habit we should be looking toward to establish a healthier gut microbiome? Okay. So the first one, and this is going to come as no surprise, but I feel compelled because I really hope that there are some of you that are out there right now who have never heard me talk, have never read my books, have never even heard of who I am. Hello, I'm Dr. Will Bolsowitz. <laughs> I'm a gastroenterologist and also an author of a series of books. Um, and the number one thing is focus on fiber. I realize my books are called Fiber Fueled and the Fiber Fueled Cookbook. And there's a reason for this. So Chuck, 95% of Americans, 95% of Americans, not 95% of exam roomies, thankfully, but 95% of Americans are deficient in fiber and not just mildly deficient, but profoundly deficient. I would go so far as to say that this is our biggest nutritional deficiency as it currently exists. A lot of people think, oh, we have a protein problem. We don't have a protein problem. If anything, we have an excessive protein problem. What we have is an inadequacy of fiber. And Chuck, if you look at my favorite fiber study of all time, the largest fiber study ever done, compiling literally millions of years of data, what they discovered is that people who consume more fiber, they live longer, less likely to have a heart attack, less likely to die of heart disease, less likely to be diagnosed with multiple forms of cancer. Some of them, colon cancer, esophageal cancer, breast cancer, less likely to die of cancer less likely to be diagnosed with diabetes, less likely to have a stroke. When you consume more fiber, people lose weight, they lower their cholesterol, they lower their blood pressure. In that uh, study, what you find is that fiber is in fact the solution to at least four of the top 10 causes of death in the United States. And I could go further, there's other studies, that's just one study, okay? But 95% of Americans are deficient in fiber. And if we just fixed this one nutritional deficiency, we would radically transform the health of our country on an individual basis. People would receive 
massive benefits. Does the source of the fiber come into play here for you, like whether it be Metamucil or should we be getting it from a whole food? The benefits that I just discussed in that the largest study ever done, which by the way is by one of my uh, scientific heroes, Andrew Reynolds. Why do I love this guy? I love him because he did this study. <laughs> and the, the benefits that you saw, they were the result of dietary fiber. It's important for people to understand food comes first. Now, I am a believer in supplements, but not supplements instead of food. Food comes first. We empower our microbes with a healthy, balanced diet. And then if you want, you can add supplements to this for added benefit. We clearly have uh, human clinical trials that show that there is a role for supplements in, in terms of providing better gut health. So it's like quite undeniable. But again, you can't out supplement a bad diet. It has to start with food first. All right, well, that's kind of the the very definition of supplement, right? It's not everything. It's meant to supplement what's pre-existing. And if, you know, exactly. the, the first thing needs to be the food, and then we'll supplement on top of that. Um, it's kind of like eating dessert before dinner. You shouldn't do that. You eat your dinner first, and then you supplement with dessert. That's the way I kind of look at that. Um, so no, no surprise there, Dr. B, that fiber is number one on your list. What would number two be? Because I feel like once we've crossed the F word off with you, the next four are going to be wild cards. So I have no idea where you're taking us next. All right. Now that I dropped an F bomb, <laughs> it's number two. Uh, and look, this is a concept that Maybe if you know me, you've heard me say this, and I want you to hear me say this again, because if there was one thing, if I were that angel on your shoulder and I were whispering something in your ear, when you go to the supermarket, this is what it would be. Diversity of plants, diversity of plants, diversity of plants. We need to add more diversity to our diet. It has been taken away from us by the food industry. They expect us to go to the supermarket and basically only consume three plants, wheat, corn, and soy. That is 70% of the calories that exist in your supermarket right now. So what we know, Chuck, is that a diverse microbiome is a healthy microbiome. And to get a diverse microbiome, we need a wide variety of plants. This is more than just an idea. This has actually been clinically proven in the American Gut Project, which is the largest study to date that allows us to connect the gut microbiome with diet and lifestyle habits. And so in this study, people that were consuming 30 plants or more per week had the healthiest guts. My question to the exam roomies, tell me in the chat, how many plants a day do you think that you're consuming? How many plants a week do you think that you're consuming? I wanna know. Um, because no matter who you are, no matter where you are, by the way, I hope that there's some people with low numbers. You know why? Because I love that you're here because this could change your life. And no matter who you are, no matter what dietary pattern you follow, I don't care what the label is to your diet, follow this core principle, add more variety of plants to your diet, get more varieties. I love that. Lashes was the first one. And she, she just writes a lot. Yep. 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 Drop. Who needs oh. to get a lot? Boom. Uh, real quick, while people are, are putting in their tallies for the number of plants that they eat in a particular day, uh, you said that uh, corn, soy, and wheat make up 70% of a person's calories or 70% of the calories essentially that are sold in grocery stores. That amazes me because soy still has that negative connotation. So it sounds like people are probably eating more of it than they even realize. Would I be correct in assuming that? Um, you know, I... 
I think the issue though is that ultra processed foods, ultra processed foods do not ever qualify as plants. When we say plants, we're talking about whole foods, plant-based fruits, vegetables, whole grains, seeds, nuts, and legumes. If you don't know what the ingredients are on the package, that is not a plant. Mm. It's go by simple names. So I think that our priority and our focus, Chuck, needs to be on getting back to that sort of approach. The reason why wheat, corn, and soy are so dominant is not necessarily that the there's some sort of um, conspiracy by the big food industry, other than they just don't care about your health. They want to sell. The way they I sell know. is by slapping this in front of you and making it salty and sweet, and then people buy it. Yeah. So, and that's not the same as like buying ingredients and making a delicious meal because you can make a delicious meal. It just unfortunately requires a little more effort. Than cracking open a box and uh, eating whatever's in there. All right, let's take a look at some of these tallies right now that came in. So we've got Lashes, who was the leader in the clubhouse with an undefined a lot, uh, followed by Penny, which uh, very much on the opposite end of the spectrum there, maybe two plants per week. Uh, then we've got seven to 10 a day uh, from N. Nicole is up to 15. Lashes all the way says that uh, they have a garden in their backyard. Matter of fact, their backyard is a garden. So um, I want to look at that other end of the spectrum there. And you're talking about diversity here in the diet. But if a person is only eating two plants per week, what kind of nutrient shortcomings is that person looking at? And, you know, what kind of risk is that posing to their gut health? Well, I mean, let me be the first to say that I, I uh, actually applaud this person for number one, being here, for number two, being honest. And um, let me also say number three, that uh, I was probably one plant per week, uh, which was French fries, if you went back 10 years ago. And so we're all on a journey. This is not about who can drop the biggest number. It's not a competition. This is about your health and um, empowering you in a way that makes you healthy and vibrant and feeling great and thriving as you move through life. This is what it's about. So it's the benefits are for you. Um, the, the thing about plants, Chuck, is that every single plant, every single one, there's, I can't name a bad plant. Some people want to say potatoes are bad. I don't buy it, actually. Um, potatoes are bad when they're French fries, but actually potatoes can be an excellent source of resistant starches. So I don't buy that there's such a thing as a bad plant. And every single one of these plants is um, uh, designed by nature, a gift from God with many different types of nutrients that include vitamins, minerals, fiber, polyphenols. Polyphenols are um, the antioxidant compounds that give plants their colors and are known to reduce oxidative stress, which basically is like another way of almost saying inflammation in the body. Um, so they have polyphenols. They also have these things called phytochemicals. Many of the phytochemicals that exist have been subsequently turned into drugs by the pharmaceutical industry, but you don't need to buy them in a pill. You can eat them as food and just microdose your body towards health. So every single plant has strengths and weaknesses. I would never encourage, what, regardless of what we feel is the best plant, I would never encourage people to build their diet around one plant. Um, instead, by eating a wide variety, we're getting the strengths out of all of those different types of foods. We simultaneously are feeding many different types of microbes because not every microbe eats the same food. Not every microbe likes kale. So you can't just eat kale all day and be healthy. You have to diversify. So whether you're eating one plant a week, 
or 60 plants a week or a lot. <laughs> the goal, it's about you, it's about your health. And the goal is to take this and progress over perfection. Let's move towards a little bit more. Uh, John at 1224 has a question wondering whether it would count toward that daily or weekly total of plant diversity if you were adding plants into the sauces that you're making as well. Uh, so let's pretend we're talking about a tomato sauce because it kind of depends on what we're talking about here, Chuck. But if we're talking about a tomato sauce, yo, tomato sauce is a vehicle for plants. That's <laughs> it's it is delicious and its purpose is for you to ninja snick, sneak, blah, 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 be a ninja, sneak some plants into this vehicle and deliver it into your children's mouth. And they will be very happy. So I actually like just last night, my my wife made spaghetti. It's a simple meal. Whole wheat organic spaghetti. It costs 99 cents for a box that feeds our family. And tomato sauce. And into that tomato sauce goes multiple different types of beans and whatever plants we can find in the fridge. So onions and garlic and peppers and spinach. And my mouth is now starting to water, so I need to trail off here. <laughs> for the listeners at home, you would add more and finish the sentence. There's more that you could find in your fridge that you would put in there. Fresh herbs, basil, uh, parsley, oregano. There we go. Did you guys puree the beans in the sauce to make it a little bit creamier, or did you leave the bean whole? Whole bean. I leave the whole bean, but you could, you could puree if you wanted to. Interesting. What kind of bean was it? Because now, like, I know that you want to move past, but you piqued the curiosity, man, and we just got to stay here for a second. What kind of bean went in the sauce? Chuck, uh, if I were to define my favorite beans, I mean, it's a little bit, <laughs> it depends on the context. But <laughs> uh, Not that that's the universal answer to everything, but uh, we used a four bean blend. Okay. So this, this is, a, it's canned beans. Or bean blend, there's kidney beans, uh, pinto beans, like black beans. Okay, that's quite delicious. Alternative choice, maybe you're a chickpea person. You like those garbanzos, all right? Drop a can in there. So, and you could just do the chickpeas. You don't have to do the four bean blend. So whatever works for you and makes you happy. Now, like uh, when I said it's about the contacts, like uh, obviously if I'm doing sort of Mexican flavored, like a, a burrito bowl as an example, uh, black beans, pinto beans, that's what I'm going to favor, right? If it's chili, chili might be actually more similar to the sauce in the sense that I do pinto beans, black beans, um, and kidney beans. So it just depends on what you're making and what, and what feels right. Bro, you know what feels right is that can of chickpeas with some tomato sauce and just a spoon. I don't need pasta. Just give me the spoon and I'll take it straight. It, yeah. That is just so good. It's, it's so good, good. man. So good. All right, let's get to number three on the list. We've got fiber. We've got diversity of plants. What is number three, Dr. B? Real quick, Chuck, before we get to number three. Yeah. A comment. There's a, there's a comment about lectins. Um, and the question is, or it's kind of saying that lectins are found in red kidney beans. And if they're not properly cooked, then those lectins can cause poisoning. Okay. Uh, this is true. And that would require you to buy uncooked beans and then not actually cook them. So, um, whereas when you buy canned beans, they're already cooked. Or if you buy your beans, then obviously I recommend that you cook them. Um, by cooking beans, it effectively eliminates the lectins. This is the reason why people eat beans every single day across the planet, and people are not having any issues at all. In fact, the longest lived populations focus on beans in their diet. Um, these, are, these are longevity foods, and they're also microbiome foods. 
All right. You, you just channeled uh, your, <laughs> you just channeled your inner blue zone right there, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, number three there. What do we got? So we're talking about building a healthy gut microbiome, healthy habits. This is the third of three dietary strategies. And then I'm going to jump into some non-dietary strategies. The third is to add fermented food. All right. These are traditional foods that unfortunately we um, stopped consuming. And now we're starting to bring them back because science says so. So the issue is that we always consumed fermented foods. Every culture in human history has fermented foods usually as the centerpiece of their dietary pattern. They're celebrated foods. But starting roughly 100 years ago, maybe a little bit more than that, we developed preservatives. So now a fermented uh, food by itself is a preservative because it's an ecosystem. And in that ecosystem, the good bugs suppress the bad ones. What's happened is we got rid of that. We brought in food preservatives and additives. What is a preservative? Basically, it's an antimicrobial. It preserves the food by killing and destroying and retarding bacteria or, or, uh, or yeast. The problem with this is that this makes no room for the good guys. So yes, it's killing the pathogens. It's also killing the good guys. And then what happens when we drop that into our intestine where mostly good guys live? Problematic. This is why 60% of our calories coming from ultra-processed foods is really, to me, scary. This is why I want to bring back fermented food. And there was a study that was done at Stanford University by someone who's a friend of mine, actually two friends of mine, Justin Sonnenberg and Christopher Gardner. They're both professors at Stanford. And um, in this study, the intervention was to increase your fermented food intake. And these people went from basically no fermented foods to consuming several servings per day. And what was exciting and amazing about this study, Chuck, this is not just uh, population data. This is actually an interventional trial where they were tracking their microbiome routinely. And they discovered that by eight weeks, after eight weeks of adding fermented food to their diet, these people increased the diversity within their gut microbiome and the immune system responded as well, less inflammation. So to me, this is the this is a clear indicator that adding fermented foods to our gut micro, to our diet is an important part of building a healthier gut microbiome. We have a couple of people in the chat though who are wondering about the sodium and the salt content found in a lot of these fermented foods. Could that adversely impact your microbiome? Yeah, I'm glad that this question is asked. Chuck, you and I we talk about this probably 10 times a year. <laughs> yeah, easily. Uh, out of 12 out of 12 podcasts so um and I, this is what i want people to understand that um you do need salt in your diet to survive you would not survive without salt in your diet salt is problematic when it is excessively consumed for people who are excessively consuming salt they should reduce their salt intake where do they get the salt in their diet it's clearly not from fermented food because they're not eating it they're getting salt from ultra-processed foods. If you were to eliminate ultra-processed foods and replace it with, frankly, any other food, but particularly plant foods, you would be on a low-salt diet. Um, you probably would need to add a little bit of salt to that, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, and eating a normal amount of fermented food that does include salt for preservative reasons and also for taste, adding, eating a normal amount of salt 
does not make it a high, high salt diet, nor does that make that dangerous or risky. So I think it's sort of conceptually similar to the idea of oxygen, Chuck. Um, when we're uh, in the sweet spot with the right amount of oxygen, it gives us life. That's the air that we breathe. But I've had patients that I've treated in the intensive care unit with 100% oxygen, meaning that there's nothing else, just a pure oxygen. And that's actually poisonous. Believe it or not, that's poisonous to the lungs, 100% oxygen. And I think it's conceptually similar to the salt, which is that we need salt, we need the proper amount of salt. And when you eliminate ultra-processed foods, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater by also eliminating this super healthy, gut-friendly food just because the salt, that would be uh, scientific reductionism that actually is causing harm. I didn't know that about oxygen and at 100% saturation. Like I had no idea that, that that is poisonous to the lungs. There's a lot of things, Chuck, that, you know, I mean, if you just think about anything in life, um, there's, there's many different things that when you have an inadequate consumption, it's bad. And when you have an excessive consumption, it's bad. But when you have the proper amount, it's actually really, 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 really good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's not just oxygen. I mean, exercise is another perfect example. When you don't exercise, that's bad. But if you exercise too much, that actually causes harm. It's inflammatory. Yeah. And uh, Blue Jay Jitsu, awesome name, is uh, one of the people who was asking about that. They apologize for asking an often asked question, but no apology necessary because no there's people are curious. Yeah, absolutely. And and every time we talk about it, I feel like we learn something a little bit differently or or we add a, a little bit more to the, to our conversation. So no need to apologize. There are no stupid questions exactly. on I the love show. The question and I'm glad that you asked because yeah. you're for, uh, Chuck and I are here for you and to empower you with good knowledge. And sometimes uh, nuance is required to talk about complex topics that can't be distilled down to simple uh, rules. Let's uh, talk also while we're uh, on fermented foods before we get to number four. I want to talk about histamines in fermented foods. Marianne at 1232 is wondering about that. Uh, definitely can be problematic for people who need to follow a low histamine diet. Yes, I uh, my second book was the Fiber Fields Cookbook. I actually don't really, in, to me, it's not a cookbook. To me, it's a protocol for healing food intolerances. And the two main things that I talk about are FODMAPs and histamine. And um, so fermented foods are a source of histamine. It's a result of the microbes transforming the food. That's completely natural. Histamine is um, ubiquitous in nature, meaning that no matter what it is that you're consuming, it will include some histamine. There's no such thing as a zero histamine diet. It's a question of how much. But for people who are sensitive, this uh, histamine from fermented foods can trigger symptoms. So what is the solution to this issue for them? They may need to temporarily withhold from consuming fermented food and focus on their gut health. Using the first two principles, focus on fiber, add more plant diversity. When you do these things, you rebuild the gut barrier. Chuck, fiber rebuilds the gut barrier. Fermented foods help to populate with a diversity of microbes and reduce inflammation. But fiber reduces the gut, uh, fiber enhances the gut barrier. And when we enhance the gut barrier, we help to keep the histamine where it's supposed to be inside the intestines, as opposed to allowing it to leak into the bloodstream. And this is the strategy that people ultimately need in terms of healing histamine intolerance. You can read more in my, in my cookbook. I also have a course on this topic for those who want to take a deeper dive. 
Is there one, uh, really quickly before we move on, is there one fermented food that may be a little bit less problematic initially for someone, say maybe sauerkraut over kimchi or tempeh over both of those? It's a challenge. Yeah. Uh, so fermented foods that have live microbes are all going to likely trigger histamine intolerance. Now, at the end of the day, the interesting or beautiful thing about this is it's about you. It's about you. And it doesn't matter what, like, for example, I say in a book or what I predict could be problematic. If it doesn't cause a problem for you, you're good. And if it does cause a problem, then we have to have a strategy for how to deal with that properly. Um, so now I would expect most fermented foods to create issues for people that have histamine intolerance. What would be the easiest? Probably sourdough bread. Hmm. And it's quite tasty. Man, there's nothing like a good piece of sour. You give me a good piece of sourdough with the chickpeas and tomato sauce, throw a little more veggies in there, man. Now you're talking. Come on. Give me a piece of sourdough with anything. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah. you know, me, oh, Chuck, I'm going to start. I'm getting hungry as we speak. Roasted sourdough. Um, I put a little bit of balsamic vinegar. I put, now I know some people don't like this, but a little mild drizzle of extra virgin olive oil. Slap down the avocado mash it up with a fork, get some spices on top. Oh my gosh, dude, I'm in heaven. It's flavor country, my friend. Flavor country. Uh, here we go. Number four on Dr. B's list. What you got for us? Okay, we're transitioning away from food. There are ways that you can build a healthy gut without even lifting a fork. And what I want to talk to you about is actually a concept that's more than just one thing. I want to help you build strong morning and evening routines. Okay, so for those of you who are listening right now, um, if you want to grab your phone and open up a notepad or grab a pencil or a pen and a piece of paper, because I'm going to give you a couple of different things. Basically, what I want to do is I want to take you through the ways my approach to trying to build healthy morning and healthy evening. And Chuck, uh, the reason why we're doing this is because, first of all, these two bookends of the day really help to frame a healthy gut microbiome that functions on a 24-hour rhythm. So our microbes are working on this rhythm and we can help them to work better by reinforcing them when the sun comes up and when the sun goes down in the evening, okay? So that's the idea behind this. So here's what I do. In the morning, I like to try to get outside as close to sunrise as possible. And these glasses that you see me wearing here, if you come to my neighborhood in Charleston, South Carolina, you'll see me outside like this because they have a little bit of blue light blocking. I don't want to block any blue light. I want to get some natural sunlight exposure. This actually, much like Wally, you know, Wally gets powered up. Yeah, anyone ever seen that movie, Wally with the robot? Wally gets powered up by the sunlight, right? Plants get powered up by the sunlight. Humans get powered up by the sunlight. Getting that morning sunlight actually teaches your body when the day starts. And what you will find is you will have more restful sleep that night because you were exposed to sun in the morning. Your body will understand when it's time to go to bed. All right, number two, clean coffee. Um, so coffee is actually good for our microbiome. Now this could also, you could substitute tea. Everything that I'm saying here, coffee, tea, same thing. Um, both are good for the microbiome. The problem is not the, the actual beverage. The problem is what we add to it. So adding, you know, high fat dairy, sweeteners, artificial sweeteners. This is where we get ourselves into trouble. I have moved towards drinking black coffee 
And if I add anything, it's spices. All right, so clean coffee, potentially with spices. Cinnamon can be a starting point. I like cinnamon, and like this time of year, you could do a little bit of nutmeg in there. Um, I also like cinnamon with turmeric and ginger. All right, so clean coffee. Um, next, I want you to make your first meal high plant diversity. In other words, your microbes haven't been eating. So when you feed them, let's feed them well. And that to me, like in our family, what we do is we build a smoothie. So that smoothie could have easily 10 different plants and buzz it up and it's delicious. And guess what? I'm happy. My wife is happy. My kids are also drinking the smoothie. They're happy and we're all feeding our gut. All right. So these are examples of things that you can do strategies uh, for the morning in terms of building a healthy gut. Let's talk about the evening. Is that okay, Chuck? Or is there anything you want to add that you uh, are curious about or that you do in the morning? Well, uh, I mean, I'm a pretty much uh, let's get breakfast, sit down at the laptop, craft the day kind of a, you know, kind of a guy. I'm very much in, in my routine. And now obviously it's pretty cold outside, not exactly going to take the laptop out and sit on the, the bench that we have on our patio. So how would you recommend getting some of those sunlight benefits in the cold weather, man? Talk to us about that because there's a lot of us that are kind of freezing right now, man. Yeah, I understand. I'm a, I'm a bit spoiled because I'm down here in Charleston, South Carolina. And even though it's cold, our cold is not cold compared to like, where I grew up in upstate New York. Okay, so I get it. I, I used to live in Chicago as well. Um, part of it is bundling up. Part of it is bundling up. I mean, to me, like when you live in cold places, it's, it's a wardrobe uh, adaptation that's required. Um, and, you know, in a perfect world, taking a walk outside is what I would really encourage. If that's not manageable because maybe there's ice on the ground or it's too cold, then ideally getting outside. But if you can't get outside, then at least getting some sunlight through the window, not looking, staring directly at the sun, not staring directly at the sun, but staring at the sky. All right. Pulling in that natural light. If you look up towards the sky, um, you will be absorbed, like basically filling your retina with this light. So hey, what I do, okay. by the way, I should mention this is that like, you know, I have uh, young children. So my one and a half year old, Suze, Susie Q, uh, her middle initial is not Q. I just like calling her Susie Q. We, uh, we, we have a tradition. We take a walk together. So her and I Aww. take a walk. Sure. Oh, she take those little babies. Well, one and a half. They're not really even baby steps so much anymore. Right. I mean, I imagine she's, she's taking some healthy. Yeah. She's the most be little girl. <laughs> uh name of the day really quickly before we on uh before we move on to evening time we haven't gotten there uh but shaquille oatmeal is hanging out with us in the chat today i just think that that name is fantastic and i might i might using your inspiration for doing fantasy basketball uh use that as my team name uh dr b uh shaquille oatmeal that's pretty strong man that's, That's awesome. I see that Etienne says, just get a dog. You will have to go outside. And Etienne, there's so much truth to that. And the other thing that's interesting and cool is that if I were to add a number six, I could say add a pet, get a pet, because um, that dog has a microbiome. And by cohabitating with your dog or cat, you are sharing microbes. And so it's good for both of you. Good call, man. Score one for Rudy, who's sleeping in my wife's office downstairs right now, no doubt. Uh, all right, my friend. So we've got the, those strong morning habits. What about the evening habits? What should we be looking at there? 
Prester John says, Bulsowitz looks like he can hit threes on the court. Absolutely, man. Come on down here. Let's play some hoops. Let's Bro, <laughs> you don't want to see this man on the court. Mess yeah. around. He'll get a triple-double, man, for real. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chuck, let's talk about the evening. So what are we doing in the evening? Again, grab your notes wherever, you, wherever you're taking notes because I want you all to have this. These are things that you want to work on, and consistency is king. Consistency is king. It's not about a fad thing. It's about what you can do all every single day. Try to have an early dinner. That doesn't mean three o'clock. It could be, but to me, this means like trying to get in before seven if possible. All right. Some people work and can't do that. I get it. It's okay. Try to have an early dinner. The important part of this is when dinner is over, hard rule, hard rule, no solid food, no alcohol. Okay. So that way, this period of time between when you go to bed and your dinner, you're allowing your microbes to digest, but you also are going to give them a break overnight. During this window of time, um, simple beverages are completely fair game. Herbal teas, totally fine. I also like to do tart cherry juice. Tart cherry juice actually has evidence that it helps us sleep better because it's a natural source of melatonin. So rather than consuming alcohol or having snacks, eating chips or popcorn, instead, Opt for the herbal tea or tart cherry juice. The other thing in the evening, try to minimize bright, bright light exposure. One of the things that's very disruptive that exists today but did not exist 100 years ago are the devices that we use that are filled with bright light. So to the best of our ability, let's minimize bright lights. Let's try not to be in front of a laptop, in front of a tablet. Let's try to switch our phone to dark mode. And if you're watching television, getting as much distance as you can between you and the TV to minimize that bright light exposure. Last but not least, uh, to the best of your ability, try to observe an early-ish bedtime, which at least in my world, that means trying to go to bed by 1030. Easier said than done a lot of times, uh, but I have also been trying to do that. And I actually find that I function better when I do that. I always considered myself to be a natural night owl. But I just somehow feel better when I'm asleep by 11 and I'm up around 6.30 or 7 o'clock. There's just something like my body just thanks me naturally for it. It's kind of bizarre, even though I've always my entire life gravitated toward working well past that midnight hour. We have research that we did at, at Zoe where we looked at um, what was social jet lag. So social jet lag is not that you got on a jet, but instead that you basically are shifting up your sleep patterns. And when people shift up their sleep patterns, rather than being consistent about going to bed at ideally a reasonably early time, uh, when they like go to bed at two in the morning on the weekends, it actually is extremely disruptive to their gut microbiome and to their and to their metabolism. Look at Josh here talking about uh, not eating after dinner. Josh's a uh, little pro tip here at 1246. I like beans for dinner because they keep me full longer and then I don't snack. Simple exactly. tip, right? Makes sense. Yep. But All right. Something sweet. Many people want something sweet. I, I have a sweet tooth. I'm, get it? Uh, dark chocolate. Not a bar, but like two pieces. And the thing about dark chocolate is, by the way, a fermented food. Dark chocolate is chocolate is fermented. So is coffee. Uh, so it's a fermented food. Um, it doesn't require a lot of sugar to be delicious. It's about the complexity. And so just take it and allow it to slowly melt on your tongue, allow it to explore the entirety of your tongue, and just like kind of enjoy the sensation of the flavor profile, what you get from the chocolate. 
All right. So that's your way of, if you have a sweet tooth, that's what I would encourage you to do. It's actually good for the microbiome as opposed to bad. You sounded just like you were on a cooking show there for a second. Let it explore the totality. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. I like that. All right, man. Uh, Last but not least, give us number five on your healthy habits list, my friend. Okay. We need desperately to get back to real human connection. And this is so important. But our, um, our culture is tearing it away from us. Devices are taking us away from sitting down with real people, looking them in the eye, and forging healthy relationships that lift us up. I want to share six quick statements that I consider to be facts, Chuck, sure. uh, uh, on the importance of human connection. Okay? Yeah. Number one, the highest form of tor- torture that exists is human isolation. It's worse than physical torture. Number two, not to be dark. Sorry, Chuck. I was like, wow, bro. I was like, That's a showstopper. <laughs> we'll, we'll brighten things up here. Sorry, everyone. I just think it's an important counterpoint to understand this, that like we're so social. It's so innate to who we are that you can actually torture a person just by isolating them. And it's really um, the worst. Hmm. All right. Social connection has been associated with lower risk of inflammatory diseases, lower risk of metabolic diseases, and longer life expectancy. In fact, this is on the order of power of smoking and cigarettes. Whether or not you are socially connected is as powerful as whether or not you're a smoker. It's more powerful than whether or not you have high blood pressure or diabetes, which is wild to me. Number three, when we kiss, why do we kiss? I've pondered this question for many years, and I think I found the answer. We exchange microbes. We exchange 80 million microbes when we kiss. Maybe bonding is more than just uh, attention and physical touch. Maybe it's a microbial share. Number four, married couples have more diversity in their microbiome, meaning they have a more healthy microbiome than people who live alone. Number five, spouses share more microbes with each other than they do with their siblings, even though with their siblings, they share their origin. Same mom, same parents, uh, shared genetics. In most cases, shared home, shared food. But you share more microbes with your spouse because, again, there's microbial sharing. And last but not least, I think this is quite fascinating and compelling. Microbiome science says that people that have stronger emotional connections, so when two spouses are more strongly connected to one another, meaning they have a great relationship, that is associated with sharing more microbes and also shared with higher gut diversity for both of them. It's like a, it's like a February uh, 14th Valentine's letter. I know. Like, I almost feel like uh, we should be revisiting this here in, in a couple of months. Um, dark and I ended with love. You definitely ended on a high note. I can't imagine that these were studies that you heard about in medical school. Like this is not the typical advice that a doctor would prescribe for their patients, or maybe I just haven't found the right doctor yet. This seems like, you know, you did some independent study here to come up with this or independent research, I should say. I guess, you know, yes, Chuck. So I guess let me say a couple of things on that. Um, uh, Number one, like 
uh, social, like isolation being a form of torture. Well, we all saw Zero Dark Thirty, okay? So <laughs> it's in the movies. Um, so you don't need to study for that one. Um, the, uh, the social connection being important to longevity. This is so powerfully established. It's not just one study. Study after study after study after study has been showing this for 30 years. Um, so it's not hard to find this information. It's just a question of like, which study do you want to cite? And then when it comes to the microbiome, of course, the microbiome science is all new. And there's a lot that we're learning. And that's where the, uh, the research that I'm citing there on the microbiome and the diversity and the shared microbes, that's all quite a bit newer. Um, that's all in the last couple of years. But, you know, but we, we do have the data that goes back to the late 1980s of like people who are raised in a house with siblings are less likely to get allergic diseases. People that are raised in a house with a pet are less likely to get allergic diseases. So um, the concepts were already there. We just needed to um, bring them into the 21st century with microbi microbial science. Yeah. Let's let's wrap up the conversation today with this. I think that John's kind of posing it more as a statement, but I want to ask it as a question, as long as we're talking about cohabitating. John is hypothesizing at 1251 that if you live with someone long enough, your farts, your gas, then will begin to smell the same. Um, obviously, you're sharing microbes, whether or not you're in a romantic relationship, just by the mere fact that you're living together, you're kind of in the same environment. Do you honestly think that there's anything to that notion? Does everybody in, you know, under the same roof share the same smell when it comes to their flatulence, Dr. B? <laughs> I haven't seen a study to prove this one way or the other. I didn't right. know how you were going to answer that, man. My wife does not pass gas, therefore I cannot comment. Um, I don't think that that's true. I don't think that that's true. We do have a unique microbiome, although we do share microbes, but we're not sharing microbes on a level... The most shared microbiome that you will find, for example, in identical twins, is only 25%. So we're always going to be more different than we are the same. Um, so I can't say that that's like uh, definitely true. But the other thing that I think is interesting, though, is when we share the same diet, which um, builds our microbiome, I think we start to look like each other, which makes me very happy because my wife is a um, former beauty pageant uh, um, uh, victor winner. Uh, she's US, uh, the, the, gosh, I'm like, she's gonna kill me for- Just gloat, bro. Just, I mean, you're stating a fact. You're not bragging. You're just stating a fact. Go ahead, put it my out there. Wife, my wife was uh, Miss South Carolina, United States. And um, she has had, like, I basically adopted a similar, more similar to her diet. I didn't pull her towards me. She pulled me towards her. And so I just would like to believe that by sharing the same diet, it makes me look a little bit better looking because, you know, it's not, uh, we all, we all want that. I guess I'll just leave it at that. Are you ready for the swimsuit competition? Do you want a sash? Should I send that your way? Could that be my Christmas present to you, sir? A Dr. B beauty pageant sash. Check, huh? you're blasting me right now. What's up, man? I thought I'm we were just loving you, bro. Like I'm just trying to make you, I don't know, blush. I don't know. Just having a little fun with my boy. I don't know if you can see it, but it yeah. is working. Did it yeah. make me blush here at the last minute? 
jokes aside, man, your wife is an incredible human being. I love her, man. She is she is just a lot of fun. And um, yeah, you two are just the perfect pair for so many reasons, man. You guys are just amazing. My wife is, my wife is a wonderful person. I'm very grateful to uh, be happily married. And I'm glad that we're sharing microbes together. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure, man. Good people, good people. So uh, send her my best. I haven't uh, had the opportunity to wish her yet a happy holidays. Um, I'll tell you one more thing that I want to talk to you about today that I am excited about is that uh, the Microbiome 21 is back, baby. What you got cooking up over at the website? I'm excited. This is actually the uh, the third year that we are doing this, and it, it just keeps getting better. We keep uh, building it up and making it um, better than the year before. So I run a challenge that starts January 1st every single year, and it's called Microbiome 21. I'm inviting everyone who's listening to this call to come join. And basically what this is, is it's 21 days. This is not, by the way, just to be totally clear, it's not a 21 day meal plan. It's not 21 days of like crash diet or just food. That to me is not actually that helpful. What's helpful to me is to build healthy habits. During the episode today, Chuck, we talked about five strategies that you can use to build healthy habits within your life, right? So what if we expanded that? What if we expanded that to 21 straight days of discussing healthy habits? That's what Microbiome 21 is, but it's also being done within a community where you're doing this together, you're having fun, and I'm a part of this and I'm answering questions. So for anyone who wants to be a part of something like that, um, I think it's a ton of fun. People seem to love it. We have thousands of people every year. You can learn more at my website, theplantfedgut.com. Yeah, Kelly says this is her second year of doing the M21, the Microbiome 21. So I'm I'm pretty stoked about that. I'm curious, like three short weeks, 21 days doesn't seem like a lot of time. How much shift can a person actually see in their microbiome during that stretch? That's a great question. So like literally within 24 hours of making some sort of dietary change, you will start to see a shift. It is not an overhaul. Shifts do take time. It's like a snowball. It starts really small. But when you do it consistently, it starts to build up. We know from plenty of studies that by four weeks, you will have a profound effect in reshaping your microbiome. That snowball is of a sufficient size at that point that it is definitely like something that you notice. Wow, look at that snowball. That is fantastic. All right, so four weeks is where you start to really see this. Obviously, 21 days is three quarters of the way towards four weeks. But again, Chuck, this is not a 21-day crash diet, fad. Thing you're going to stop. I don't want you to stop. My goal is to empower you with 21 days of basically building yourself up and having consistent habits that you can bring into your life that will transform 2024. 21 days. I mean, I would imagine in those 21 days, you could even begin to really experience that massive shift in your taste buds, kind of like I had that big overhaul. I think a lot of people who do this radical change in diet and lifestyle, they experience, but 21 days, that's enough time to kind of start weaning you off of a lot of those unhealthy foods that your body has been craving for so long. But if you stick to these healthy habits, you establish them over the 21 days, is that enough time to really get that palate to start shifting as well? I think so. I mean, I think it's somewhere on that spectrum of, you know, weeks, uh, somewhere in the range of probably weeks to six weeks, eight weeks, somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, I should mention real quick. So, uh, someone mentioned Chris, thank you. Mentioned that the cost of microbiome 21 is $37. So, and that, that is the cost of it. Um, I think it's a fantastic deal because basically you get to be a part of this experience with me and this community for basically a little over a dollar a day. 
Um, if you compare that to other uh, programs out there, other courses, things of this variety, obviously they would they would be much more expensive. But if that's not for you, that's totally fine. I have tons of stuff that I put out for free. I spend most of my time, including right now, doing things that are completely free. And so just join me on this journey. I have a free email list that you can be a part of. I have my social media that you can follow. You can borrow my books from the library. Those are all great choices. For real, like it's only $37. I really thought that it would be upwards of a hundred. Like that is amazing, man. You were really giving people the opportunity to do some extraordinary things as we head into this new year. So one of the things that I try to do, Chuck, is to try to create um, content for people of different varieties and different price points, right? So some things are designed to be for mass scale like this, right? So we set a very low price point. And there's some things that like I intentionally keep it as an intimate group because I am personally like sitting down with the group on a routine basis. And those things are more expensive and also much, much longer and more detailed. Mm -hmm. So MicroRAM 21 is supposed to be sort of this entry point. But again, like if you if, if it's not for you, that's perfectly fine. There's tons of stuff that I do that's free and you can check that out. I think it's fantastic, man. Thirty seven dollars uh, for 21 days that could literally begin to change a person's life is is just fantastic. So yeah, thank you so fun. much, man. Just a great way to start the year. It's fun. Dude, for real, right? I mean, come on. It's so good. 37 bucks. I mean, that's cheaper than most gym memberships, right? So, I mean, come on. Come on. What do you think? I'm coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. B, the Gut Health MD. Look, links to everything are in the show description in the episode notes. So click away, my friends. You have nothing to lose and only your health to gain. Appreciate you, my friend. Let's do this again really soon. Matter of fact, you're going to be up uh, the first week of the new year. You're one of our health all-stars again uh, for 2024, man. So can't wait to have you on that panel. I think we're going to be talking about uh, a whole lot of other things, optimizing your microbiome and really taking that to the next level. And we might have a, a couple of new and exciting things to talk about that uh, I think the exam roomies are going to be super pumped for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That might be, but we might have something to talk about there. It could be quite interesting for people. Look Stay for that in your January. Stay tuned, my friends. But Dr. B, I uh, appreciate your time, my friend. And uh, we will talk again very, very soon. Thanks, everyone. Every week I get a kick out of people in the chat who were able to join us live for the first time for the exam room live. And it is just the biggest thrill because they just seem so happy to be there. And we love when they're there with us too. We love it when everybody comes together to raise their health IQ as a community. So go ahead and join us. Mark your calendars every Wednesday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Physicians Committee's YouTube channel and Facebook page. That's where you can join me and our experts as we band together for the exam room live and raise our health IQs. And speaking of banding together, there's a new group out there. Maybe you've heard of it, the exam room VIPs. Well, I would love for you to be VIP with us as well. We are talking about elite nutrition status, my friend, the elite nutrition status that is guaranteed to take your health IQ to the next level, really improve your health. But unlike a lot of these clubs, there's no monthly fee here. There's no annual fee here. It is completely free 24 seven, 365. It's all about just getting together and getting healthy as a community. And we would love for you to be an exam room VIP with us. And here's what you get as an exam room VIP not just bragging rights, but you also get exclusive access to some of our premium interviews, like the one that we did with Dr. Michael Greger for the release of his book, How Not to Age. Exam Room VIPs got to listen and watch that 
two weeks before anybody else. Plus, as an exam room VIP, you'll also get early access to tickets for some of our live shows. So pre-sales just for you. You get our newsletter. And coming up, as Dr. Neil Barnard gets ready to release his new book, The Power Foods Diet, there's going to be exclusive events surrounding that as well. And all you need to do to become VIP for FREE is head to pcrm.org slash examroomvip. That is pcrm.org slash examroomvip. Sign up right then and there and help us in our mission to make the world a healthier and more compassionate place. And the last thing that I will ask of you today is that if you do feel like you've raised your health IQ by a point or two, go ahead, take a second, let the world know that you are a fan of the exam room. Do that by listening, subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you get your shows. And when you subscribe and follow, please also leave a five-star rating and a nice review. That's how we climb a little bit higher in the podcast rankings with every new follow and subscription and certainly the five-star rating. And that gets this information that could quite literally change a person's life. It gets this information to the top of their podcast chart so that when they are looking for good health and nutrition podcasts, boom, there is the exam room ready to help them change their life. So go ahead, follow, subscribe, five stars. And if you want to leave a nice review, let us know how this show has improved your health or how a plant-based diet has improved your health. Go ahead, drop that in the review as well. We might even be able to talk a little bit about that on the show as well. But for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to the incredible Dr. Will Bolswitz. He's going to be back the first week of the new year for our big Heroes of Health series as we get you going on a brand new and even healthier foot in 2024. So stay tuned for that. But for now, my friends, on behalf of everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.